Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. So excited to be with you each and every Saturday. Thanks for telling your friends. Over 10 years, me and the great Steve Paulette. You can count on it every Saturday from 7 to 9. You can count on the Clapper Vision. What is Clapper Vision? It's me being an artist, a sculptor, painting pictures with words so that you can understand your injury. Your ankle's like a bicycle, the ligaments like the kickstand. You know the drill, your spine is like a stack of Oreo cookies. The cookie is the bone, the cream filling is the disc. How many clap revisions over 10 years? So well, many. <laughs> exactly. And each week we have a guest from the world of art, sports, surgery, and life. And in 815, I can't wait to talk to David Smith who's an expert about the desert, particularly Joshua Tree. So it made me think all week how much I love the world of art, of sports, and surgery. And they're similar to me. You just got to find the dots to connect them. So the magic of the desert, after visiting Joshua Tree, I couldn't wait to get a hold of David Smith and say, it's such a special place, the night sky, how do these animals, birds, plants survive in this climate? And it made me think about the world of art. Where does that magic of the desert get described? Well, to me, this song is near and dear. came out in 1971 that's Joshua Tree the first thing I met was a fly with a, fly with a buzz no clouds in the sky was full of sound. When I learned more about this song, the picture that he's painting with words, Dewey Bunnell, from the group America, I realized I had to learn more about the greatest song written about the desert. Who was this group America? Here's Jerry Beckley talking about the start of the group. 
three teenagers living in London because their parents were in the military. They went to an American high school in London, decided we should get together and form a group, but not a British invasion group because we're not British. We're going to call ourselves America because we're Americans, even though we're in London. It's fascinating. Jerry Beckley and Dewey Bunnell, along with former member Dan Peake, beat the Eagles to take home the Grammy for Best New Artist in 1972 after bursting onto the world stage with a string of hits. Their timeless harmonies are still adored by fans, and Jerry Beckley is with us here live in the studio. Good morning, Pleasure. Jerry. It is great Hello, to have you Kristen. here. Pleasure. Um, you. you formed America with school friends Dewey and Dan in 1970, but you weren't even in America. You were in we, England. We <laughs> were sons of American servicemen that were stationed in the London area, and mm. so we were at a high school there for dependents. We met in 68, formed the band in 70, and uh, did the first album there. Speaking of Father's Day tomorrow, these are the sons because their fathers were in the military, and that's why they were living there. How did it all get started? Was it easy? And your earliest gigs were at the Roundhouse. Yes. Yeah, opening for The Who, Pink Floyd and Elton John. Yes. Amazing. You boys were barely out of your teens. I was 17, I remember, and we sat on stools and we played about 20 minutes of our acoustic stuff and the crowd went mild. <laughs> and, and then uh, Pink Floyd came out with a 90-piece orchestra and choir oh and performed God. the entire Adam Hart Mother album. So it was quite a contrast. Wow. One of their songs, I Need You. Jerry Beckley, 16 years old when he wrote this song. In the new biography of the band, you say that um, Heartbreak is the greatest inspiration for a song. So I Need You was one of the big hits from your first album. Yes. Was that song about a real girl? I'm afraid it wasn't. No, it's poetic. Uh, kind of, you, you use poetic license. Um, in this case, I got uh, lucky early. I was 16 when I wrote that song. It was our wow. most covered song, you know. All the great uh, classic singers, Johnny Mathis, Andy Williams, they all did covers of it. It's beautiful. Yeah. And you were 16. Yeah. Listen to how Jerry Beckley talks about writing a song. When you were writing these songs, and you said you wrote one when you were 16, um, is there a magic moment where you go, we have, that is a killer song, we've just nailed that? Is there, is there a feeling you get? Uh, there is, and I wish it was something that came more often. You know, it's... Uh, it doesn't happen all the time, but there are certain songs you'll hear people tell about that they dreamt a song or this yep, one just yep. fell out. My experience is those are very often the best ones, the ones that you don't have to labor over. So when you think of magical moments, you think of the desert. When you're Dewey Bunnell and your father's stationed all over the world, particularly Vandenberg Air Force Base near the desert, now you're in London of all places because your dad is now assigned there and it's cold and it's raining and you're miserable. You think back about the magic of the desert. So he's asked, how did you write this song, A Horse With No Name, about the desert? A Horse With No Name was, was such a unique type sound and song and the whole thing. You know, it just, you know since then it's been stuff similar, but that was the first. How did you, I mean, what were you sitting in a bar or what? How did that come to you? <laughs> I was, we were in England, the farthest place from a desert possible, I guess. It was just a, uh, just an imaginary thing, you know, you're sitting there in England and it's raining outside and you look outside and what could, what would be better than this? Boy, it'd be neat to be in the desert and there's some hot sun. <laughs> it would be neat to be in the desert and he dreamed up the song.
Dewey is definitely a fanatic for deserts. And I'll be he'll probably be out looking for rattlesnakes and things. I'm a reptile freak. <laughs> reptile freak because my aunt. That's Go ahead. a long story. When my father, we were all in the Air Force. <laughs> His career field was in satellite tracking and missile guidance, so we were on remote Air Force bases all the time. So me and my little brother spent a lot of time out poking in holes and seeing what came out. <laughs> There's a nice little tidbit for your son. <laughs> yes. Poking in holes and seeing what came out in the desert. The magic is in those holes. What about in the world of sports in my lifetime? You have athletes in the middle of the desert? Yes, you do. Now you do. Because of the magical construction architects, designers that can figure out how to build a football stadium in Glendale, Arizona, where it's 120 degrees, and yet you can sit indoors and watch football on natural grass, air conditioning, retractable roof, a true feat in the world of architecture and building. The University of Phoenix, now the State Farm Stadium for the Arizona Cardinals. Listen to the story of how this stadium was built where the football field is rolled out on wheels into the parking lot so they can water and grow the grass and then when it's game time roll the grass back into the building in mega project construction some things don't come around very often out of the arizona desert sand and four years in the making is one of those icons the $412 million Cardinal Stadium with its retractable roof and rollout natural turf playing surface is a first in North America. Having a first class stadium with every fan amenity that any modern stadium has, air conditioning, uh, all the great design features and, and interesting technology that's been incorporated into the design, I think is going to have a huge impact on, in terms of our brand, in terms of what people, how they feel about Cardinal football. This is a landmark event in the world of construction, taking on the challenge of building in the desert. Work commenced on this 165-acre West Valley site in July of 2003 with design builder Hunt Construction Group at the helm. The owner, Arizona Sports and Tourism Authority, and primary tenant, the Arizona Cardinals, would be in good hands, steady hands. Hunt the nation's number one sports facility builder, went about its business of building a landmark. But you need to assemble the forces to fight the force of nature. It's a proof that you can bring together high design, sports architecture, an aggressive budget, a dual ownership, put it all in one place, put it all under the Hunt umbrella, and we can deliver on time and on budget. Listen to the details of the challenge of the desert. Without a doubt, Cardinal Stadium is the new benchmark in stadium design and construction. This bold and innovative venue has the size and capacity of a major outdoor stadium with the features and functionality of an arena. It truly is one of a kind. The retractable roof panels open and close on an incline, a first. The rollout field retractable roof combo, a first. These two key features give the Arizona Sports and Tourism Authority a multi-dimensional facility that offers a total of 63,500 fixed seats 
with a mega event capacity of 72,800 seats. 72,000 people can be sitting in the middle of the blazing hot desert, 120 degrees, air-conditioned, watching players on natural grass. This is a major feat of humanity, like landed on the moon. These aren't uh, construction techniques that you just pick up off the shelf. This had never been done before. Somebody had to manage that work and deliver on that promise, and Hunt did it. Site work included a stadium building footprint of 25 acres. 860,000 cubic yards of dirt was moved. Approximately 100,000 cubic yards of concrete was poured, and that's inside the structure. Four main super columns support the Brunel trusses. There's 11,000 tons of rebar on six levels. I love it. Dewey Bunnell rode horse with no name, and we're talking about Brunel trusses. No relation. This superstructure's aesthetics were designed by Peter Eisenman of New York City. Designer HOK of Kansas City was in charge of functionality and structure. Designer Pentagram, also out of New York, handled suite interiors and graphics. And ME Engineers out of Denver was in charge of mechanical, electrical, plumbing. The shape of the stadium, a barrel cactus wrapped by a snake, was the vision of Peter Eisen. This is what Frank Lloyd Wright did. You want to look like the, nat the natural background. So what are we going to make this look like? We're going to make it look like a barrel cactus with a snake around it. The stadium was voted already one of the 10 best stadiums in the world by Business Week magazine before it even opened. So it clearly strikes a chord with Mr. Everybody. The process for building a stadium, it was always a, a racetrack and a donut to move around the building when you construct it. But because of the familiarity, I've seen very different approaches taken to a building where you work on four sides of the building, you work on two sides, go vertically, and then work on other aspects. And so they've, uh, Hunt, as an organization, has really been able to think in different ways about that. Exactly how Michelangelo used a hammer and chisel on marble. You work all sides at the same time. You can see that in his unfinished sculptures. You don't appreciate that when you see the David, a finished product, but that's how they built this stadium. A lot like Michelangelo tackled a block of stone. The unique rollout natural grass playing field is contained in a single tray that weighs 18.9 million pounds. Oof. It's 234 feet wide and 403 feet long. Rolled in on game days, the field will offer the preferred natural grass playing surface. Rolled out for the remaining 350 days of the year, the field will receive sunlight and water. The field tray is powered by electronic motors mounted on steel wheels riding on steel tracks, similar to railroad technology. It's roll the field is rolled out into the parking lot, which has over 14,000 parking spaces. And when the game starts on these railroad track wheels, they roll the field into the stadium. The tracks are embedded in the concrete stadium floor. The field rolls in or out of the stadium in just one hour. The retractable roof is another construction milestone. The two large retractable panels open and close on an arch. The panels are made of bird air fabric, allowing light to penetrate a closed roof, offering an open, airy feel. Also when closed, the retractable roof allows for an air-conditioned environment, maximizing comfort in this state-of-the-art facility. When open, 
the stadium takes advantage of Arizona's famous sunshine, a bonus during fall and winter season football games. The challenge of the desert. This stadium meets those challenges in such a creative way to deal with the heat, to benefit from the sunshine. Nobody ever did it before. Natural grass in the middle of the desert to play football and the retractable roof and the air conditioning. Genius. Geniuses all getting together because the desert is a tough place to be. We're going to learn all about the toughness, the magic of the desert. Coming up next with my guest, the great David Smith, the superintendent of Joshua Tree, a desert expert. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. Sedano, you know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. From now on, I am not Robert Clapper. I want you to call me Smokey. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Dr. Smokey Clapper. That's the greatest. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> Steve Paulette, you're the greatest. Playing the music from Lawrence of La Brea. <laughs> no, Lawrence of Arabia. Look at that theme. That's fantastic. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I'm so excited to talk about the desert and the magic of the desert. Nobody knows it best or better than my guest, David Smith. David, thanks so much for making time for this this morning. I really appreciate it. No sweat, Dr. Clapper, and I'm just really happy I'm not having to grow turf in the middle of the desert right now <laughs> like our, our dear friends in Arizona. <laughs> Listen, I want to play my inspiration to talk to you. Listen to this song, which you'll remember. Oh, yes. I was looking at all the life, he says. I was looking at all the life. Right. There were plants and birds. And birds and rocks and things. There was sand and hills and rain. All the life. The first thing I met was a fly with a buzz and the sky. Sky with no clouds. The heat was hot and the ground. was full of sound so David I want to ask you tell us what it means to you you know I had a great professor in orthopedic surgery Dr. Ranawat say teach me Robert the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know we need to learn from you David what does he mean the air was full of sound Looking at all that life, what is it on every level, every sense, what we see, what we hear, and even beyond about Joshua Tree? So I I am remembered when I was a young ranger about 20, 25 years ago, living in the southern portion of the park at the time, where all I could get was AM radio at the time, by the way, so I was quite (laughs) quite familiar with uh, the L.A. market, and uh, it it was about 100 112, 114 degrees Fahrenheit. I was on patrol. 
And uh, I pulled off, and I, I just went out into the desert, and I just sat there for a while in the shade of a, of a creosote bush. And uh, it, it was this overwhelming both sound of silence, which, uh-huh. which it can overwhelm you, but also the, the sound of life, the sound of uh, the, the insects that were there at the time, the, the sound of, uh, of hawks and golden eagles in the distance shrieking, uh, the sound of the wind, you know, caressing the, the, the creosote. I mean, it's, it is an overwhelming sound of silence, but trust me, there's a lot of depth to it as well. There's a great line in this song as well. Uh, where he says the ocean is a desert with its life underground and a perfect disguise <laughs> above. The Two. the levels, yeah. you know, as a surgeon, there's the skin, there's the subcutaneous fat, there's the fascia, there's the tendon, there's the periosteum, then there's the bone, and then I go into the joint. Our bodies are like a seven-layer cake uh, in terms of how we're made. The desert, right? It's it's the sky, then it's the mountaintops, the mountain itself, then the earth, and then you go below the earth. Each of those levels, there's life in each one of those levels. So what's nice working at a park that's the size of a small eastern state is that you've got all these different levels of, of life that are there. And if you go down to the salt flats, the lowest elevations in the park, where today it is going to be about 115 or 116 degrees, and you and you you know that that there there are there are fossils from from the from the Pleistocene from animals that are there that that occasionally stick their heads out from the the dirt that's down at the bottom of the basin, and as you go up higher and higher in elevation, you start seeing creosote, and then you go a little higher and you'll start seeing Joshua trees. Hmm. You still go higher. You've got uh, pinyon pines and junipers growing up there at, at five and six thousand feet inside the park. You know, all along the way, you're you're watching the, the life zones change from. From from desert tortoises to, to different types of snake species to to deer to you know mule deer to bighorn sheep to to mountain lions as you go up you know each layer there are so many different layers of life uh, you know to be seen if you're willing to open your eyes and go for a walk. The artist Claude Monet and Andy Warhol then kind of copied it by making his silk screens of Marilyn Monroe or, or Mao Zedong with just different colors, but. I believe he stole that idea from Claude Monet, who painted the same haystack, but he painted it in different times of day, and then he Mm -hmm. painted it during different seasons. You literally are looking at the same haystack, but it's a different haystack depending on the time of year or the time of day. Same thing as a surfer, which is my passion. It's the same break, the same ocean, but it's completely different every time I look at it. The desert. The same thing. Tell us about nighttime in the desert. Oh man. Well, um, it, it is it is overwhelming because you know growing up in the Southland, I, I you know for me a, a constellation was watching a you know a seven forty seven on its way down to Lindbergh Field. You know that was about all I saw in the sky. And uh, when I when I first became a, a ranger out in Utah, working out in the middle of nowhere, and saw the stars and saw the Milky Way for the first time, it was it was an overwhelming experience. Hmm. And I, I was working out at a little detached unit of Canyonlands, uh, which is a national park out in Utah, and I would, I would sleep outside at night. I had a cot set up outside the trailer. Mm. And, you know, to be able to, to watch during the course of an evening all these constellations and all these stars turn overhead, you know, 180 degrees as the Earth spins. Mm. And, and to feel that I was part of that for the first time 
Uh, that that's what happens when you go out at night at a place like Joshua Tree that's you know 120 miles from LA and mm-hmm. 200 miles from Phoenix and it, it is it you know dark night skies mm-hmm. uh, and for a lot of people this is their first chance ever 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 seeing the Milky Way which you know blows the mind when you think that like all people in human history every time they looked up at the sky they saw you know the, the Milky Way but for the last century you know that's been blotted out by by human made lights. Mm. You're unbelievable. I just love hearing you passionately talk about. So, David, who are you? Where did you grow up? What did your father do for a living? And how? Did, when was it that Cupid shot you in the chest and said, you're going to work in the national park in a desert? I mean, take us through the journey. Well, I, I grew up in, in Vista, which is northern San Diego County. And uh, my uh, aunt and uncle lived up in Anaheim, so they would take me camping out to different locations like Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. So I started coming out here when I was about seven, and I love the sticky rocks. You know, to be a, I mean, if you're a seven-year-old kid and you get a mm-hmm. chance to, to play in, you know, like God's Own Jungle Gym, which is Joshua Tree, <laughs> it was a blast. Uh, and then I, I went to, to call it, my dad's a, a house painter, and, mm-hmm. you know, he was pretty cheap. So he would take, he would only go camping at places that didn't charge, which were most of the national parks back then and, and forest service sites. And so we'd go out and we'd go camping. But I went to school up at um, a Berkeley up near San Francisco and got a degree in forestry. And I uh, just fell in love with the idea that I, I could get paid for, for, you know, taking care of the people's land, you know, in places like Joshua Tree or Sequoia or Yosemite or Grand Canyon and just you know, communicating with folks. So uh, I've been doing this now for about 30 years. Wow. And I, I wasn't sure, you know, I had been a bartender during college, which was fun. I loved talking to people. <laughs> I loved, you know, engaging them in conversations. But uh, when I got out of college, my, my spouse and I, uh, we camped for about three or four months across the United States, and we discovered that the happiest people we were seeing were, um, were park rangers. And so we both decided to become park rangers. So your wife is a park ranger, too. Well, actually, husband. You know, this is this is the 2020s. So, I see. Uh, so we both started out in law enforcement, and then he continued to specialize in that, and I went the, the interpretation route, which is the, the folks that get a chance to talk to visitors at visitor centers and things like that. And, man, we've worked in, I think, about 10 different parks across the United States now over the last 30 years, and wow. our, our kids have had to move now. This is their fifth park, is Joshua Tree. So every, it's almost like being in the military. Yeah. But I think, I mean, I, I love Joshua Tree. I love being here. I love working with the people here. We're not going anywhere until we retire. That's amazing. So I'm a surfer. Everybody always wants to ask me about why do you do this? There's a shark. You can. And to me, just to be in their house, in their ocean, they're not interested in biting me or, or attacking me. They're happy to share their world with, with, uh, with us. I would love to know. Did you have a close call with an animal that made you scared, or have you never been scared to be in nature? I mean, I, I think it's a it's a human reaction when you when you're coming down a trail and you're about to step on a on a rattlesnake. I don't and I don't know who's not scared when mm. when you're in that situation. And there have been a dozen times where you know I've been in a situation where I, I've surprised a, a rattlesnake. But remember, I, I'm 170 pounds. They're like three pounds. Mm-hmm. They don't want to bite me. They want to stay away from me. Right. So they, they, they remind us with that rattle, which, gosh, that, that is a primordial kind of terror whenever you hear that rattle when you're yeah. out hiking uh, to stay away. And I, I typically stay away. But that, that's been the, you know, the biggest thing. I, 
a couple times I've had bears, you know, come through a campsite before uh, when I was working at higher elevations in other parks like like uh, Grand Canyon. Uh, but uh, never been frightened by a mountain lion or anything like that. I, I do a lot of long distance running. Mm-hmm. So on my, my spare time, I'll, I'll go for, you know, 20 and 30 mile runs in the park and I'm usually by myself. Mm. And man, I, I, I always feel safe when I go out into a park. Now, Dr. Clapper, please, it, 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 is, it is the middle of summer. I don't want anyone who's listening right now to think it's a good time to go for a 20-mile run inside of the park. It's right. a lousy time right now. You know, stick to, uh, stick to the coast right now and come back when it's a little bit cooler. Right. Wow. No, you, I don't think anybody is taking that away from this conversation, so please don't worry. So I, like most people who visit the park, took a ton of pictures. Thanks to Steve Jobs, we can do that now and see him instantaneously. <laughs> And of all the pictures, when I have, you know, like like an elevator talk, I've just got like a minute to tell you, oh, you went to Joshua Tree, what it was like. There's one picture that I show them, if I'm going to be able to show them one picture, and that is of this boulder that's probably 20 tons that I saw in between these two mountains mm-hmm. that is wedged literally, if it's a giant cube, on the corner of the cube. With nothing around it, it's like God took this 20-ton boulder and just set it down and balanced it right there on the corner of the cube, and it doesn't fall over. It, to me, is just shocking, the sculptural rock formations that you see. Do you have a favorite spot of a rock formation in Joshua Tree? Well, I, I'll go back to my, my childhood uh, when we used to camp up at Jumbo Rocks. There, there's, a, there's a big round rock that is wedged between um, two 45-degree uh, angle slices of rock that, mm. that's just sitting up there. It looks like a bowling ball mm. that you know, someone has placed there you know, a million years ago, and it's not going anywhere. And every time I walk around that campground, you know, I look at that, that big old ball sitting up there thinking, like, how did that get there? And we know, you know during the the last ice age when it was colder here and there was more soil, you know, a lot of these rocks just kind of rolled into place and the soil, you know, you know, eroded away over the, the last 12,000 years and, you know, kind of placed these rocks in where they are. So we, we know we can, scientifically we understand why they're there, but when you're, when you're sitting there or you're, when you're hiking underneath it and you're thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm underneath a 20 ton rock right now. Yeah. Uh, it is, it is an overwhelming feeling. How about the birds? Tell us a little bit about the birds. How do they survive in well, that condition? They're just they're amazing, amazing animals. There's a there's a golden eagle that hangs around my house. I live just on the the boundary of the park uh, in uh, the town of Twenty Nine Palms, mm-hmm. and just to watch this beautiful animal, this this twenty pound you know bird mm-hmm. perched on top of some creosote. Uh, that is able to survive here and is able to go up and just use the thermals that come up off the desert to soar until she finds, you know, a, a, a desert cottontail, you know, that's down below and snap it up and make it part of her diet that day. Hmm. You know, it's, it's these animals that are well adapted to this environment. Animals that can seek shade when they need to during the daytime. Uh, animals like, like the owls that come out at night and do their hunting, like the nighthawks uh, hmm. during the evening hours. Uh, you know, very, very specialized birds of prey that can, that can eat the lizards and the snakes and, and the insects as well as the, the small mammals that are out here that are adapted to it. Uh, then there's, you know, the strategy of something like the, 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 the uh, gamble quail or the, the California quail that we see out here who they just have lots of babies and they know a lot of them are going to 
you know, fall prey mm. uh, to the other critters that are out here. But by, by having, you know, one or two uh, rounds of, of children each year, and lots of them, you know, they're able to continue to survive. Hmm. Do you have a favorite time of day to visit? I mean, obviously all of it's great, but is the morning to you yeah. special versus late in the day? Gosh, um, Dr. Clapper, there's nothing like watching sunrise mm. out in the desert. You know, and now it's so early in the day, you know, you've got to get up at 5 o'clock or 4.30 right. if you want to see it right now. But in the wintertime, uh, when you come up here and you watch that, that, that winter sunrise, you know, crest over yeah. uh, the, the mountains or... Well, okay, the sunset is pretty spectacular. Thank goodness for the smog that comes in from Los Angeles and the Inland Empire. We have, you know, those those ruby red skies um, wow. that, that just are so defining of the desert. There's, there's this thing in photography called the golden hour, and it's the hour or so before sunrise, or right after sunrise and right before sunset when you get the, the really elongated colors. Mm-hmm. And those are ideal times to, to be out in the park. Um, taking pictures. I, I wouldn't worry so much about the sunrise and sunset. Get into a place where you can see beautiful colors on rocks. Or you were when you were playing Lawrence of Arabia earlier. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I don't. We don't have you know the huge sand dunes that you see up at uh, Death Valley or up at Mojave National Preserve. Mm-hmm. But we do have some sand dunes down right in the middle of the Pinto Basin. And gosh, when you get that kind of orange glow cascading on on those, it is. You do feel like you're you know Lawrence of Arabia back in nineteen whatever that was seventeen. Yeah. Wow. Let, take me back to Berkeley. Take, <laughs> take me back to you taking forestry classes. Was there a professor in your schooling that was the most inspirational for you? Yeah, there was, uh, there was uh, Claudia Carr. You know, she, she, there weren't a lot of women in forestry at the time, mm-hmm. and so she was, she was inspirational. And, uh, you know, she taught a lot of conservation classes. And she showed, you know, what the effects of, of humans can have on, on the environment around us. And, uh, you know, I, I see those today. I see when I'm out in the middle of the Pinto Basin and I'm coming across, you know, mylar balloons, you know, that have, have made their way from a car dealership in Long Beach, you know, to end up in the middle of, of the park. Or I, I see, you know, global climate change. You know, that's, that's affecting the Joshua trees right now as they, as they move up in elevation because it's just too hot at the lower elevations. Mm-hmm. You know, she, this would have been 35 years ago, you know, really planted those seeds that we have a big effect on, on the world around us, and we also have a big responsibility to, to take care of it. And so my, my kids, my, my daughter particularly, she knows she's got to pick up three pieces of litter a day. doesn't matter where she is. If we're visiting family down in San Diego, you know, she's going to be looking for three pieces of litter to pick up. Right. Um, and she's going to do it here as well. So, I mean, it sounds kind of trite, you know, little things no. like picking up litter. No. But it starts to permeate through your soul that, you know what, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be driving around so much today. Maybe I should turn off the air conditioner when I'm not at home. Mm-hmm. And all those things kind of add up to help protect these national parks that we've set aside, you know, for our kids and for the future. These are, Dr. Clapper, these are crown jewels. Right. You know, Joshua Tree, Death Valley, Yosemite, um, Cabrillo, Santa Monica Mountains. You know, these are the crown jewels that the American people have set aside forever in our mm-hmm. national parks. Yeah. No, I, it's just so great to talk to you. All right, I'm going to, before I let you go, Michelangelo's dead 500 years. I can't talk to him, but I can talk to David Smith. And and I love your ears and what goes through your brain, particularly the magic of a desert, the, the magic and how it, it stays with you. 
So listen to Dewey Bunnell being interviewed as a 20-year-old of how the hell did you write that song as a, it's a fantasy. It's actually not something he's witnessing. Listen to this. A horse with no name was, was such a unique type sound and song, the whole thing, you know, it just, you know, since then it's been stuff similar, but that was the first. How did you, I mean, what were you sitting in a bar or what? How did that come to you? <laughs> I was, we were in England, the farthest Dewey. place from a desert possible, I guess. It was just a, uh, just an imaginary thing, you know, you're sitting there in England and it's raining outside and you look outside and what could, what would be better than this? Boy, it'd be neat to be in the desert and there's some hot sun. Dewey is... It's an imaginary thing. Isn't that beautiful? You know, uh, there, there's so many artists that are so inspired by the desert and, and philosophers, you know, mm-hmm. that, that come, I mean, you know, from a, you know, bi- even a biblical standpoint, you know, mm-hmm. people come out to the desert to, to connect with God, to connect mm-hmm. with themselves, to connect with nature. Um, I, I, and if, if, if you look on, you know, YouTube or on the internet right now, the number of people that are coming out to places like Joshua Tree to find inspiration, it just continues to go on and on. So I, I would invite you to continue to come on back and yes. find your, your muse out here, find your inspiration. You're not going to find any turf uh, growing in the middle of the park, hopefully, uh, because they just can't maintain it. But you're going to find the beauty and the peace that, that only uh, only the desert can provide. I'm just so proud to have spent spoken to you, met you, knowing that you're really protecting these areas for us. And I can't think of a better person to be in charge. Thank you so much for making time for us today, David Smith. It's really an honor to talk to you, and I we all really appreciate everything that you do for us. Hey, I, I, I just got to put out, like, it's, it's my staff. It, it's, the, it's the men and women who come out here mm-hmm. to, to do the job. It's the guys that, you know, work at, you know, and fighting the fires that are doing law enforcement, that are connecting with fourth mm-hmm. graders, that are cleaning the bathrooms. Mm-hmm. They're really the ones that are, are the folks that are doing it. I just, get to, I just get to hire them. So I guess you can thank me for hiring really good people. Well, I am. I've got good people. I am. And thanks for making time for us, David. Really, what and a pleasure what, to hey, talk have to a you. Great, have a great Saturday and, uh, and go Clippers. Okay. <laughs> you got it in there to all the Laker fans. <laughs> oh thank you, gosh. David. 25 points down and they come back. Unbelievable. (laughs) God bless you. All right, David. We really appreciate it. All All right, right. Warriors. Coming up next, I'll take your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. It's inspiring to talk to someone like David Smith, someone who's protecting those lands for us. Thank God he's there. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook Know Your Knee Post. One of the most complicated areas of the body. ACL, PCL, MCL, patella supplication. Really? Dr. Clapper translates the language of your knee on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Simply type in Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Wow! Your knee feels better already. Damn right. Like, follow, and feel better with the Weekend Warrior Facebook page page. Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Roberto Clapperio, a fish tacologist. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I know the ins and outs of a fish taco. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. 
Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Such a pleasure. What a great way to start the weekend. Knowing that we heard the words of David Smith and all about the desert. Wait till I tell you about the desert that I ate this week. It's called Nopales. It's a cactus. Who would eat a cactus? Well, as it turns out, lots of people would eat a cactus. I'm going to tell you all about the wonderful world of Nopales. But first, the lines are lit up. We've got to do some clapper vision. Let's go to no. Let's go to Nopales. Listen to me. Let's go to Xander. Xander, you're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? How you doing, Dr. Clapper? I'm doing good, Xander. Where you calling from? I'm calling from Manhattan in New York City. What are you crazy? You calling all the way from New York City? <laughs> What's the matter with you? No, but seriously, but no, but seriously, I'm originally I, I, I was I was born and raised in Los Angeles originally, <laughs> sir. I'm living here in New York right now and I hate it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, but seriously, the reason why I'm calling Dr. Clapper yes. is um I told you your screen caller that I just thought playing football over the weekend. And I thought I could catch the ball, and I messed around, and I jammed my thumb. How, Sandra, how old are you, and what the hell are you doing in New York? What do you do for a living? <laughs> well, um, I, I'm i like an entrepreneur. I also do multiple research, and, you know, I... An entrepreneur. Uh, uh, that's yeah. about as broad a stroke as you can get. You could be anything from a pimp to owning a bowling alley. Oh, wow. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, but an um, entrepreneur. I love that. <laughs> How young yeah. are you? So, I'm 45. I just turned 45 today. Wow. What part of Manhattan are you in? I'm in um, Harlem. What street? Well, I'm like on Lenox Avenue. Okay, I know. I know Harlem very well because I went to college at Columbia. Medical school at Columbia. I went from 116th Street and Broadway to 168th Street and Broadway. So I okay. was in the in the thick of it, but that's way back. I was I graduated college in 1979, medical school in 1983. Wow. That's a long 70, time ago. I was born 76. Yeah, so I'm you weren't even born yet, and I'm running around <laughs> in Manhattan, the very streets you're running around in, man. Wow, okay. that's great. Good for so, you. So what did you do? Anyway, you you jammed your thumb playing football. Yeah, being an idiot. But uh, I'll tell you the real truth, Dr. Clapper, because I like to be an honest guy. Good. I got in a fight. I got in a fight with this guy. Yeah, I figured. Some idiot. Yep. Yeah, I got in a fight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we got into a kind of a squabble. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, I was, like, fighting. And next thing you know, I, like, tried to throw a punch. And I messed around. I, like, really jammed my thumb. Thought wow. I could hit him, but I missed it by an inch. So I've been wearing this um, hand brace on my hand for um, almost about a month and a half now. Well, I will tell you this. Fractures in the hand, different than a fractured ankle or a fractured kneecap, the bones themselves heal incredibly quickly. So if you're still having pain, that means only one thing to me. You've got ligament damage. And for that, it doesn't necessarily show up on a plain x-ray. A really good doctor can feel the thumb and determine 
is the ligament working or not working? We see a lot of ligament injuries in thumbs in skiers, for example, and in people who get into fights. So I did my orthopedic training in New York City where you're at. And the best place for you to go to is called the Hospital for Special Surgery. It's on 71st and York. That's where you need to go. And you want the name of the best guy to see there? His name is Scott Wolf. He's the best hand surgeon I've ever met in my life, and he's in New York City. And you tell him Dr. Clapper sent you. He'll figure out what the hell's the matter with your thumb and what to do for it. <laughs> How's that? Hey, yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty good, you know. <laughs> and if you'll, you'll be like a celebrity because they've never met anybody from Los Angeles. So when you walk in and go, hey, I'm from Los Angeles, but I live in Manhattan right now. They'll want your autograph. They'll think you're like Harrison Ford or something like that, Xander. You know, hey, Dr. Cuff, I want to say what thing. I follow you on Twitter, and I follow you on Facebook, man. I start picking you, Sheriff, man. You look pretty cool, man. Uh, with your little wet suit up with your little surfboard. You, you look at surfing, man. <laughs> well, there's no surfing in Manhattan, except if you're on the Internet. But other than that, Xander, God bless you. And right. thanks so much for checking in with us. Go see Scott Wolf. Wolf for you. Okay, young man. Keep in touch. And thanks for following me. The Twitter is at Dr. Robert Clapper. All right, we'll take a break. We'll pay some bills. We'll come up with the last segment. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Miss an interview or Doc's weekly story? Check it out on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Also, Doc's advice to callers on their aches and pains. Just type Weekend Warrior in the Facebook search bar and you'll see Doc's picture in the listings. And thanks for checking out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Hey, what's up? It's LZ. Look, you know there's no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. My mother is felling in heaven right now when you say that. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, Renaissance <laughs> man, surfing sculptor, smoother. Gee, Lord have mercy. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, you'll have to prime the pump. Work that handle like there's a fire. Under that rock to find some water I left in a bitter's jar. Welcome back, weekend warriors. Just enough to prime it with. Leave it to Don't Steve Ballette to find a song with the word desert in it. Desert like Pete that. with the Kingston Trio. You've got to this week I ate the desert. I ate a cactus. And let me give a shout out. Happy Father's Day to Sean Reynoso, who's the father of Adriana, my office manager. He's a cook. He's a chef. He's a man of many talents. But when I told Adriana I was doing a show about the desert and I wanted to talk about eating the desert, she said... We eat cactus. I said, you do what? 
I only know about pizza and cheeseburgers. What do I know from the cactus that you can eat? She said, I'll, I'll have my dad make some. And I learned all about Nopales. N-O-P-A-L-E-S. If you go on Twitter, you'll see a picture of it. And here's the key. You just don't go out in the desert and cut one of those cactuses' leaves off. I don't even know what you call it. It's not a leaf. It's a part of the cactus. Looks like the Mickey Mouse ears. It looks like you go to Disneyland, you buy a Mickey Mouse hat, and you take one of the ears off. That's what it looks like. But you actually have to cut it at the hottest part of the day so there's less moisture in it. There's a whole science of how you make nopalis properly. And Sean Reynoso cut it at the right time of the day, took the stems off, and then made it for me in so many different ways. He boiled it, he grilled it, he pickled it, he put it in salad. I've had more nopalis in one day than I'll have in a lifetime. But treat yourself. It's a most delicious dish is to actually eat cactus. So that's our food item for the day. You can find nopalis at Corrales, at Johnny's on the Avenue in Ventura. Go look for nopal. Tell them Dr. Clapper sent you. It's delicious. My mouth is watering already. Let's take some calls. Let's take a call. Who we got? Who you want to take, Steve? Let's go to Daniel. Daniel, you're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Dr. Clapper, what's up, buddy? Good morning, man. Good morning. Thanks for listening. You're a weekend warrior. Yeah, I love it. Weekend warrior. I actually listen to you guys every day. Every time I'm going to work, I'm actually going to work right now. So I, I gotta, I gotta t- turn into the the weekend warriors. You know. That's right. That's exactly how I have everybody trained in this town. I love it. How young are you? What do you do for a living? You know what, brother? I'm actually a musician. I do graphic design on the side. You know, oh, wow. um, I do what I love. What do you? What instrument do you play? Um, I I play a little piano. I'm actually like a singer songwriter. I I I, I uh, write songs and you know record them and. What do you think about this, the music I was playing today? What do you think about the 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 group America? Listen to this one. Let me hear it. a song about the Ventura Highway. Chewing on a piece of grass. How beautiful is that? That's Dewey Bunnell. To be honest, it's so smooth. That's you can drive with. You know, and I love alternative Well, you need to write a song about the Ventura Highway. That's what I need from you, Daniel. That's right. You know what, brother? Um, my neck. I actually just woke up. I probably slept on the wrong side of the bed, but my neck is killing me right now, man. As long as um, it is not radiating numbness into your fingers. Is it doing that, or is it just in your neck? It's just in my neck. Good. I, I don't think it's that graphic, but... Um, then it's muscular. Um, this is what I'm going to tell yeah, you to do, Daniel. You ready? Yeah. I want you to find a big beach towel. Put it in the bathtub with steaming... Roll it up. Like a like um, what is, like a tootsie roll. Roll up the beach towel. Put it in the shower. 
steaming hot water. Get it soaking wet, but blast it with hot water. Then wring it out and put that big towel, moist heat around your neck like a football player. That moist heat will penetrate, and the trapezius muscle that's going into spasm because you slept bad is going to melt away. It'll feel like I put a million dollars around your neck. A warm, moist beach towel, that will be the cure for you, all right? As long as you don't have numbness into your fingers. Like this menthol uh, ointment on it, would you, would you, would you recommend anything nah. like that? No, nah, you don't need no. any of that crap. Just go get a okay. beach towel, steaming hot water, put it around your neck, and it'll only last being hot like that for just a, a couple of minutes. But you can do okay. that a few times during the day, and that'll get rid of the spasm in your trapezius muscle, and you're going to feel terrific. All right, man. Appreciate you so much, man. Once right. again, man, I send you guys good energy, your whole your whole staff, and I'm going to keep listening to you guys every day, man. Daniel, I want you to do me a favor. You're a total stranger to me. Look at how I just helped you. I want you to find a total stranger today. You do something oh, yeah. nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. Always, buddy. Appreciate you guys, right. man. God bless you. All right, Daniel. Thanks God for checking you. in. All right. Let's talk about next week. Probably the greatest guest I could ever have in my lifetime is the swimmer from the 1968 and 1972 Olympics, Mark Spitz. Are you kidding me? Thanks to the great David Rosen last week, who's great friends with Mark Spitz, I spoke to Mark Spitz this week, and he's going to come on as our guest next week. I, I, I will be bur- – in Yiddish, the word is kvelling, or I'm verklempt. That's what I am right now in anticipation of having Mark Spitz as my guest, and then to find out that he grew up from age two to age six swimming in Honolulu in Waikiki. To talk to him about the determination and the work ethic, inspiring to me like you can't believe. Yes, Sandy Koufax is Jewish. I wanted to be an athlete. Inspiring to have Sandy Koufax in our life. But there's nobody bigger in my life to inspire me to do so much than Mark Spitz and all that he's gone through beautifully. I cannot wait to talk to him. And that'll be my guest. Coming up next, stay tuned. At 9 o'clock, it's L.A. Gridiron Weekly with Kirk Morrison talking all things about L.A. football. Many people picking the L.A. Rams to go to the Super Bowl. Oh, Matthew Stafford, thank God you're here. And I can't wait for us to play the Chargers, which is going to be the first preseason game. But I'm giving my tickets to one of the men who helps me in the operating room, Carlos. He's going to be going to that first game, preseason game at SoFi Stadium. And I secured my parking pass. I'm so excited with Brittany Todd. So I've got a beautiful parking space right in front of SoFi Stadium. For my tickets this season. And Kawhi Leonard. That guy. What an athlete. But let's find out more about what exactly happened to his knee. But after last night, Steve Paulette, I'm not so sure they need even Kawhi Leonard. They could go all the way, those Clippers. Until next week, I'll see you on the radio. Every Saturday morning spending time with you is a real treat. I'll tell you what I find in surgery this week. I'll tell you what I find in food. 
I have my eyes on a coconut cupcake that I heard about. And when I tell you how properly to eat a coconut cupcake by unscrewing the top and turning it upside down, well, you'll hear more about it next week. Until then, I'll see you on the radio. on Facebook. Holy slip disc! That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. Along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy a wise decision. The Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. 